a song um, during the worship. Thank you to the worship team for your ministry today. They were singing, day and night, night and day, let incense arise. And I wonder if all of you know what actually you're singing or you're thinking, I've got no clue what this is all about. But if you're here today and you're saying, I really don't know what that means, I'm glad you came. Because today we're looking at the altar of incense and we're looking at what does it mean? What is the significance? What does it symbolize? And hopefully God will be able to minister into your heart something special that will even help you in your worship of the Lord. So in this journey that we've been making in holiness and worship, we have come into the holy place. We've looked at the lampstand, the golden lampstand. Last week, Vas Sylvester shared with us a bit about the table of showbread. And today, it's the altar of incense. Now, this altar of incense was found directly in front. It was the third piece of furniture found in the holy place, and it was right uh, directly in front of the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies was where God's manifest glory was. This altar was made of acacia wood, and it was overlaid with gold. So the same things it was made of as a table of showbread. And then it had four horns on it. I think you saw it. Actually, do we have the picture there? Can we put it up and people can see? Um, it has horns, four horns on all the sides, and then it's got a crown around the top. Now, so it's similar with the four horns, like the, the altar of sacrifice, which was in the outer court. But the one in the outer court was much bigger, and it was made of bronze. It was dealing with judgment on sin. This altar, the altar of incense, was much smaller. It was only about almost uh, a meter high, not more than that. And this altar of incense was made of gold. God gave a recipe for making the incense that they were burning. And God said that no other incense could ever be burnt on this altar except for this specific recipe that God gave them. It was a mixture of three rich and rare spices which cannot be identified today. But they were blended together with frankincense and it was beaten into a fine, fine powder and then it was mixed with salt. It was totally forbidden for this formula to be used for anything else than the worship of God in the holy place. So it was completely sacred, set apart for one use only, and that was on this altar of incense. It had to be used only in the worship of God in the holy place. The incense was burnt on pieces of hot coal, which the priest removed in a censer or a firepan from the altar of burnt offering in the courtyard. So he would bring that in in a censer. I'm sure you've seen people with censers. And that fire they would bring, put it on the, on the altar right there in the center. And then Aaron the priest would sprinkle the powder of the incense. And when it hit those coals, this beautiful aroma would permeate the whole holy place. Aaron was instructed to burn this incense on the altar every morning and every evening as a regular offering to the Lord, every morning and every evening. And it was poured out on the burning coals, producing a beautiful fragrance. In Leviticus chapter 6, 
and verse 13, it says, The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must never go out. So the altar, the, 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 the incense would be put on morning and evening. But then that smell, that fragrance and aroma would be in there day and night. Okay? And this is what we're talking about. Day and night, let incense arise. Those coals should never go cold. It should always be kept burning. That fire should always be kept burning on the altar. Never was the altar of incense to be used for any other type of offering. The altar of sacrifice in the outer court was used for many different animal offerings, Thanksgiving offerings, grain offerings, and many different things. But this altar of incense was only to be used for one purpose alone, and that was for this incense. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would put blood from the from the sacrifices in the outer court, and he'd come and put it on the horns of the altar to cleanse it. And the altar of incense was called, we see it in Exodus chapter 30 and verse 10, it says, the altar of incense was called most holy to the Lord. So this was very precious to God. It was very special, most holy to him. And all these details that I've been sharing with you, all of them have a lot of significance. All of them, there's a lot of symbolism in them. We don't have enough time this morning to look at all of it, but we're going to touch on a few points this morning um, as we continue this message. And I want to speak on the significance of the altar of incense. So first of all, I just want to mention briefly what is an altar. And I know Sylvester shared this with us. Some weeks back when we looked at the altar of sacrifice, he talked about what an altar was then. I just want to remind you again, it's a place of meeting. An altar is a place of meeting between God and man. It's a place of sacrifice, of worship, and dedication. So this is the significance of an altar. This is what happens at an altar. A transaction takes place. Worship, consecration, um, dedication. It's a meeting of God and man. And the altar symbolized, num- the altar of incense symbolized number one, worship and prayer. Worship and prayer. Let us read together in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. Okay, the scripture says here, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So here, from this scripture that we read together, we have the sound of worship mingled with the bowls of incense around the throne of God. It's fiery worship and prayer that rise before his throne, creating this amazing fragrance of holy incense. If you look at the scripture there, it says that they were holding a harp in one hand, which is a musical instrument, and in the other hand, a bowl, a golden bowl of incense, which was the prayer of the saints. And then they were singing a new song. So there's this worship going on. It's a mingling of the worship and a mingling with prayer before the throne of God. This is the sim symbolism of the and the significance of the altar of incense. Psalms 141 and verse 2, David says, May my prayer be set before you like incense. Now there was, as I said before, earlier, the scripture that was saying that the fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously and it should never go out, okay? Now when we look at prayer, that's what the Word of God says as well. In First Thessalonians 5 and verse 16, it says, pray without ceasing, okay? So God is looking for a life of devotion that continually burns for Him. Not just something we do on occasion. Maybe when we come to church, we do a little prayer when we're asked to pray. But he's looking for a life of devotion, a lifestyle that continuously burns for him. He's looking for consistency and continuum of his glory burning in our hearts. And I think all of us, this is a challenge because we have moments and seasons in our lives where we sense God's presence and we're so on fire and we're so passionate for God. We're burning like fire on the inside. But then we cool down again and we kind of have this up and down and up and down. But God wants the fire to be consistently burning in our hearts. He wants us to be passionate for him day and night. He wants incense to arise before him every all the time as a lifestyle in our lives. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now this word for fervent is the same word that we get the word energy from. And it means like a fire. This is the kind of prayer, passionate, fervent, like a fire. That's the kind of prayer that God wants, passionate from our hearts to rise before him. God desires this earnest prayer, pressing prayer that pushes into the realm of breakthrough. And on the other side of that breakthrough is the manifestation of heaven's glory and all that accompanies it. There's a worship leader by the name of John Belt. He comes from a church called Overflow Global Ministries. And he wrote an article um, in a magazine, which I found very fascinating, which uh, is con connected to all what we're talking about here. And he was leading worship in his church, and he wrote, After some time in worship, suddenly I could smell the burning incense fragrance. Initially, I thought someone might have walked by with some strong perfume fragrance, but then I realized that it didn't go away. 
I noticed it smelled like smoke with the fragrance of what seemed like frankincense and myrrh. Then I asked over the microphone if anyone else could smell it. It seemed everyone in the room smelled the strong incense of the presence. So this was a, a manifestation of God's presence and his glory in their midst that they could actually smell the smell of incense as they were worshiping before God. And I've heard of all the other instances where God's manifest glory is revealed to people's senses in different ways. There's been a lot of places where um, it's been recorded about when people have been in worship before the throne of God, where gold dust falls on them. And as they walk out of church, they've got gold dust on their shirts and on their, on their skin and on their foreheads that they've been worshiping. That's another manifestation. I've also heard of another church that they were record, they, they record just as we do in our service. Um, they were recording the worship. And as they played it later on afterwards, they noticed that when the, the voices in the church and congregation went low, there were some other voices in the background. And they ended up concluding it must be the angels joining in with them in worship because there was nobody else singing but these voices that had joined with them. So these are just different manifestations of God's glory and presence in our midst because our incense, the altar of incense, our worship and our prayer before him is so precious to him. Oh, he loves it. It is beautiful to know that God considers the prayers of believers to be like sweet smell of incense. When our sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus, we offer our prayers on the altar and we express the fragrance of love and worship, which are most pleasing to him. Now let's look at the second significance of the altar of incense. This altar of incense is a picture of Jesus Christ, who is our mediator. Now when we've been looking at the tabernacle of Moses, we've been saying that every single piece of furniture, everything that's in there, the colors, the textures, the everything speaks of Jesus Christ. And is a reflection of his character, his nature, what he's done for us, who he is. And so, likewise, with this altar of incense, it speaks of Jesus as our mediator. Hebrews 7 and verse 25 says, Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus intercedes at the right hand of God, not once in a while, but always. Can you see that word always? Day and night, night and day, Jesus is interceding for you and me. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, I'm not worth saving. I've failed too many times. I've made too many mistakes. I'm worthless. I'm useless. This scripture is for you. He is also able to save to the uttermost. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you've fallen short. He's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. We approach the Father through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to the Father except through him. And why is he able to do this? Because he always lives to make intercession for us, for you and me. Isn't that so comforting to know that Jesus is on duty day and night on your behalf? Why do we worry? Why are we anxious if we have 
our great God, Jesus Christ, our mediator, interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. The altar of incense was situated, as I said, right in front of the curtain. And if you open the curtain, the thing immediately in front of it was the mercy seat, the throne of God. And this is a picture of Jesus, who is the advocate who stands on our behalf, pleading for the mercy of God in our lives. We don't stand in his presence in our own strength, in our own confidence. Our confidence comes from what our mediator, our advocate, has done for us on our behalf. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24 says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands like this tabernacle of Moses that was only a copy of the true one. The true one is in heaven, and it says here, He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. So that's the real. This tabernacle of Moses is just a shadow. It's just a picture of the real thing. But Jesus went into heaven itself to appear before God on your behalf and my behalf. And that's where he is interceding for you and me right now. Christ's intercession on our behalf is like a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 19 encourages us. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore, open church family, since we have confidence to enter the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and with a full and the full assurance that comes from faith. Did you hear hear what I said here that Jesus has opened up a new and living way through the curtain that is his body. So that curtain that was separating the holy place from the holy of holies is even a picture. That's a symbol of the body of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus hung on that cross and he died for your sins and my sins, the Bible says that the curtain that was in the temple was torn through two from top to bottom. And this is a picture of Jesus Christ's body that was torn to make a way for you into the presence of the Father. Can you see the great love, the great passion that Jesus has for you? That he would allow himself to go through all of this just so that he could restore you to fellowship with the Father once again. Jesus is our mediator. He's our advocate, our high priest, the perfect sacrificial lamb who was crushed for our iniquities. Day and night, he's interceding for the church. He's interceding for you, and he's interceding for me. What is our response to all this passion and devotion from God to us? Are we going to respond likewise? Just as he gave everything he had for us, are we willing to do the same? The third significance that I want to bring about the altar of incense this morning, I want to speak about a heart without idols. A heart without idols. 
Jesus says in John chapter 4 that God is seeking for worshipers. There's a difference between worship and worshipers. Jesus didn't say God is seeking for worship, but he said God's seeking for worshipers. Why? Because he's looking for your heart. He's looking for my heart. Francis Frangipane, he says this, true worship is the result of seeing God as he is. It springs naturally from a soul purified by love, and it rises like incense from a heart without idols. Worship rises like incense before God from a heart without idols, a sincere heart. We read in the scripture before that we have to approach God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of faith. Do you know that God does not personally destroy the altars of sin and self that is within us? Rather, what he does is he points to them and he tells us to destroy them. We need to live with a vigilant, contrite attitude that refuses to allow sin and self to become idols in our hearts. Let me show you a scripture from Exodus 34, verse 12. It says here, uh, okay, all right, we've got the wrong, sorry, you can take that down, that's not the scripture. The scripture goes, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Do you know that Jesus sees you as his bride? And from his perspective, our independent ways are idolatrous in his eyes. And it kindles the fires of his jealousy, because he wants your love to be for him alone. Now, an idol is not just an occasional sin. An idol is something that rules us and makes us its slave. There can be many different idols in our lives. It doesn't have to be an actual idol like a Buddha or something like that. It could be some, some idols that are very strong in people's lives are idols like fear, lust, rebellion, pride, religion just to mention a few of those idols that compete for God's attention and affection in our hearts. Whatever challenges Jesus' right to your heart becomes his enemy, which he will confront because of his jealousy for you as his bride. Because of his jealousy, he demands that we destroy them ourselves. He's not going to do it for you. He wants you to smash them to pieces. He will point them out to you, but it's you who tears them down. And he doesn't want you to dismantle it carefully so that you can reassemble it sometime later when you think he's not looking. No, he wants you to smash it, to tear it down, to demolish it completely so that you have no idols that compete for his affection. His name, we read in the scripture before, the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. 
His name reveals his character and his nature. God says of himself, my name is jealous and I'm a jealous God. Now you might think that that's not a very nice thing for God to be. But you know there's a big difference between God's jealousy and the kind of jealousy that we have. His jealousy for us is perfect. It's not like human jealousy. It's not petty. It's not possessive. It's not insecure. It's based on pure love for you and me, wanting the complete best for us. And Jesus refuses to stop loving you no matter what happens. You may think of yourself this morning as unlovable, but I want to let you know that Jesus desires you. He loves you. He's passionate about you. But for us to experience the love of Jesus in a deeper measure in our lives, idols of self and sin must be destroyed. If you would be holy, if you want to be holy and see God face to face, this message is for you this morning. What idols do you have in your life that you're holding on to and say, yes, I want you, Jesus, but I'm just going to hold on to this thing as well. I don't want to let this one go. But, um, and we try to share our lives with Jesus and Jesus and. But Jesus says, I want your whole heart. I just want to read the story for you from Luke chapter 7 out of the Passion Translation. And the title of this um, in, in, in the scripture here, it says, Extravagant Worship. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36, it says, Afterward, Simeon, a Jewish religious leader, asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went to Simeon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets. She was known by all to be a prostitute. When she heard that Jesus was at Simeon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster. She filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the house of the Jewish religious leader, and in front of all the guests, she knelt at the feet of Jesus. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with her tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. Then, as an act of worship, she opened her flask and anointed his feet with the costly perfume. When Simeon saw what was happening, he thought to himself, this man can't be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. Jesus said, Simeon, I have a word for you. Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear it, he answered. It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000 and the other one $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them could be able to repay their debts, 
the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them all that they owed. Tell me, Simeon, which of the two debtors would, you, would be more thankful? Which one would love the banker most? Simeon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greater debt that's forgiven. $100,000 is a whole lot more than 10000 right? You're right, Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simeon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Do you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as a guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of greeting. But from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and my feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will also love very little. My question this morning, we should ask ourselves, who am I most like? Am I like Simeon? I'm a pretty good Christian. I'm quite self-righteous. I'm doing all right. A bit proud. Or am I like this broken woman who came before Jesus? Because you know, it's your choice today whether you want to be like Simeon or you want to be like this woman. It's your choice. Because it comes from recognizing what Jesus has done for you and open your heart to his love in your life. Can I see that last scripture? Claudio. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and a repentant heart, O oh God. This is what God desires from you and me. A heart that recognizes his great love and what he's done for you and is able to come in worship. Extravagant worship is passionate. It's meant to be hot, alive, burning, the irrepressible love of a heart that's aflame. The heart of true worship is the unashamed pouring out of our inner self upon the Lord Jesus Christ in affectionate devotion. Can you hear all this emotion, this passion? Jesus is so passionate and in love with you this morning. And he wants us to respond in the same way to him. And when we do, when we let go, when we allow him to captivate our hearts, this is what brings us thrust into the Holy of Holies where we meet with the Father face to face. Hallelujah. We're going to take 
a moment to listen to a song together. I want to invite you to stand together with me. And we're going to play this um, song. It's called Incense. And there's words that you can follow along there. But really what I want you to do is reflect upon what I've been sharing today. And choose. Do you want to be like Simeon? Or do you want to be like this woman today? Do you want to respond to him in an extravagant worship? And whatever that means for you this morning, let's respond to him in worship. And let us smash. If the Holy Spirit shows you, you might be standing there right now, and you know what the idols are in your life. Jesus is not going to come and take that away from you. No, he's demanding that you smash it. Do you know when the calf, the, the golden calf that the Israelites made and they worshipped, Moses made them burn it to the ground, then he crushed it into fine powder and he threw the powder in the, in the, in the water so that they would never, ever return to that idol again. And that should be our determination this morning. As we smash that idol in our life, we say, never again am I going to return there, because Jesus, you deserve all my affection this morning and forever and always.